Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Need a fun summer read? The Sweeney Sisters by Leon Dolan is out in paperback now. Leon Dolan, I hear she's great. In fact, best-selling author Susan Wiggs calls the Sweeney Sisters, quote, a story to savor and share. But we call it, quote, a thinly veiled tale of our childhood. <laughs> Judge for yourselves. The Sweeney Sisters is available in paperback and all formats at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your indie bookstore. You know, Jewel, it would also make a great hostess gift for everyone you're visiting this summer. Mm. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a satellite sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. My name is Leon Dolan, and today I think is my favorite show of the year. It's our best beach bag book show of 2021. And Liz, are you psyched? Are you psyched up? I am super psyched. And we've been getting so much messaging lately about when is the book list coming out? When is the book list coming out? So it's very, uh, it's exciting to be able to say today is the day it's out. And there is so much good stuff on that list. Right, Jewel? Right. Uh, this is Julie Dolan. Yeah, you better get a big bag this summer. <laughs> there are a lot of books. <laughs> well, here's the key. We read all the books, and that's why they're yes. on the list. It's not just books we think we've done. Let's face it. In the past, we sometimes we faked it. One year, I remember I was so busy, I just said, it's books I want to read. It was, it was my <laughs> well, TBR that's not list. a fake. That's aspirational. Yeah. But yes, yes, you did a lot of reviewing. You didn't pick. I mean, you selected some out, right, Liam? Right. Yeah, there was books I read that I did that I didn't put on the list. So we're gonna go through the whole list, not the whole list, but we're gonna go through some of the picks from our list at the end of the show. Um, you can find the whole list at satellitesisters.com. Okay. Uh, it's there. It's under the blog post. We've posted the links around on social media. This would be a good week to subscribe to Pep Talk. If you mm -hmm. haven't subscribed to our newsletter, the whole list will be in there as well as other treats in this week's Pep Talk. But coming up today, we're very excited to talk to Christina Baker Klein. Her book, The Exiles, is on our list. It's just out in paperback. Uh, well, it's out July 6th in paperback. But she is the best selling author of Orphan Train, which I I know I think right. everyone in the Satellite Sisterhood has read because yes. you got it constantly. Right. And, Christi and Christina's World, another excellent book club book that a lot of people have read too. Yeah. I mean, she's really an extraordinary writer. And, and so we're really looking forward to talking to her from her house in Maine today. Julie, you and I both read The Exiles. I loved it. I found I it. I love this book. Satisfying. I read it on a plane and I told my, the, two seatmates uh, that I was sitting next to and the woman in front of me, I was like, we, I, I convinced all of them to get the book too. 
because I <laughs> finished it on the plane. That's how word of mouth works. Good yeah. job. I just like, you have to read this book. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, this year on the list, we have contemporary fiction, historical fiction. We have memoir. We have cookbooks. Uh, we, we have mysteries and thrillers. That's a category we usually don't cover a lot, but that's new on the list this year. We have hardbacks, paperbacks. We have an audiobook special, a lot of audiobooks there. Um, so it's, a, I think, one of our most complete lists ever. Um, and, and then we even have suggestions. If you like buy this book, that's a new feature. What did you guys think of that? Wait a minute. You cut out a little bit when you said that. What did you say? <laughs> I said we even have... Um, this year we have suggestions such as like, if you like this book, try this book. Yes. Oh, that is a very nice feature that a, a human did it, not an algorithm. I like it. <laughs> Good point. Liz. Okay. So that's what we bring. We bring the human touch to this list. We actually read the books and we, we think we know you and what you might like. So, so much different than an algorithm. Exactly, Liz. Okay, so that is all at SatelliteSisters.com and you'll hear us discuss our faves uh, later on in the show. But Liz, this is not only a big week for books, it's a big week for Liz. Really, Ooh, what yes, do you yes. have? Ooh, you're back. <laughs> I'm back, I'm back. Yes, this week, Thursday night, is the, it's the return of Cooking with Liz. Mm -hmm. But with a twist, with a summer twist, sisters, because, you know, I have slightly more limited mobility than I had last summer when I was like learning to cook alone in my kitchen. This summer, I don't have to be alone in my kitchen, but I, I can't really move around all that well. So that's why this summer, sisters, is the summer of snacks. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm just going to make some snacks that are delightful summer snacks now that we can go join our friends at barbecues and, you know, house parties and things. What might you make if friends are coming over or what might you bring if you're going over? So the summer of snacks begins this Thursday, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh -huh. 8 p.m. Eastern time, live in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. And if, you, um, if you're on Instagram, I always repost it the next day uh, in Instagram. So you can watch for that. So follow at Sat Sisters or look for it there. So, um, so yeah, this Thursday, what else can I say? Let the deviling begin, sister. <laughs> Let the deviling begin. I was looking for a classic snack for the 4th of July. And I'm just going with deviled eggs. I just feel like, you know, the last time I made a deviled egg is when mom would make us make dozens of deviled eggs for like family holidays, right? I'm glad you have such fond memories. <laughs> I do that. love, I love eating them, Julie. I just, I think, I think with the deviled eggs, it's more that we would have to make them in such huge batches in our family. That, that's a lot, but I'm not doing that here. I'm cooking with Liz. It's really just me and I may get a, a guest taster. I don't know. I haven't really worked that out yet, but so let the deviling begin. I will admit, that last night in the official Cooking with Liz uh, kitchen, um, I made a mini test batch, just a mini, a mini test batch. I, I boiled two eggs and deviled them. And there were a few parts of the process that I just wanted to try out myself because so many listeners posted in the Facebook group that instead of buying a piping bag, you just snip the edge off a Ziploc bag yeah, and you yeah. do that. How did that it, go? It, well, I would say my results were um, 
uh, not attractive is the way I would okay. I, I, like it doesn't it's not really that decorative looking but it works so I feel like the good news is Julie I can improve by Thursday night that's okay. that is the goal of the test batch that's is so, to you're so achievement oriented that's what we always <laughs> love about you Just, we know you can do it Anyway, so I will uh, I will repost that. Now the the recipe I'm making is a little twist. It's a horseradish deviled egg, uh, which Leon, I know you're skeptical about. You're not a fan of the horseradish. No, I love horseradish. Oh, okay. I absolutely love horseradish. Just maybe not in a deviled egg. But I'm gonna. <laughs> okay. I love it in almost everything else. But you know, it's your recipe. So. It is. That's yeah. the way, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to try it. Maybe I'll get motivated and I'll do a compare and contrast and do some classic deviled eggs. I don't know. It depends what I feel like on Thursday. So anyway, so very excited. And uh, so every Thursday during the month of July, I will be doing live um, Cooking with Liz Summer of Snacks in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Liz, okay. Very exciting. All right. Coming up on Satellite Sisters, our best beach bag book special, we'll be talking to Christina Baker Klein. She is the number one New York Times bestselling author of eight novels, including The Exiles. Her latest is her latest is the exiles and it's about really the true story of australia in the 1840s and the women prisoners that england sent over on these terrible boats in terrible, terrible conditions terrible. because they didn't know what to do with these women and they ended up resettling an entire country uh but it's a fantastic story and we look forward to talking to christina but first we need to thank a couple of sponsors Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day, just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSisters at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. <laughs> in no their kidding. skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils, I love it all. That duo they have going. Oh. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the mega moisture duo, yes. you can you can literally see your skin get firmer and it just delivers <laughs> this full body glow. Okay. You know, we have raved about the Andaria algae body oil. Mm -hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria collagen body oil. Youthful, yeah. Liz, a youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's infused with Osea's signature Andaria seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself <laughs> because you're worth it. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSisters at oseamalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. 
So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSisters for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. We are so excited to welcome Christina Baker-Klein to Satellite Sisters for our best beach bag books interview. Uh, She is the blockbuster author, of course, of The Orphan Train, which every book club in America read and loved. It's fantastic. She's also the number one New York Times bestselling author of seven other novels, including A Piece of the World and The Exiles, which we're talking about today. Uh, She's written for tons of publications. She's done a lot of speaking and she does a lot of good work for young writers and for women who are writing all over the place. So we're super happy to have her here today. Hi, Christina. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. Ah, it's our pleasure. Hey, I just want to ask the first question about The Orphan Train because that book is so stunning and it's been around since 2013. It was a huge bestseller, almost 4 million copies in print, which is just hard to wrap your head around. You know, Why do you think that story has resonated so deeply and just sustained it? Because every time I see a Facebook post about what should my book club read, one response is The Orphan Train. Why do people love that book so much? (laughs) Why? You know, I think this is the million dollar question that many publishers have been asking themselves. Many writers have been asking themselves. I certainly have. I mean, the crazy thing about that book, Orphan Train, is that you guys have know what the book world is like. And usually there's sort of a glimmer, like a, a book is sort of chosen or a book, um, uh, a publisher kind of positions the book in a certain way to become a huge blockbuster because they have a sense of what's going to happen. And with Orphan Train, it was a total dark horse. Wow. It came That's out good. in April of one year and it hit the bestseller list in March of the following year. I mean, sorry, it hit number one. It was on the bestseller list, like crawling along in the high numbers. And then it hit number one. It was there for five weeks. It was in the top five for a year and in the top 10 for two years. It was such a crazy, crazy snowball. But the most amazing thing to me about that book, and I think, I think what it's all about, is that for whatever reason, it, it was word of mouth. It was one book club telling another book club telling another book club. And, you know, for all the marketing that publishers do and all the work that authors do to get books seen and heard and felt and experienced, it's really word of mouth that it comes down to so often. And women too. It's women women. talking to each other about books. Yes. Passing books along. But I will say that I think the reason there was such tremendous word of mouth is that Orphan Train is about a little known moment in American history when a quarter of a million children were sent on trains to the Midwest from the East Coast in a labor program um, from the ages of two to 14. Um, It took place over 75 years, ending in 1929, and virtually no one had ever heard of it. It is a crazy story. That's a crazy story. That's a lot of kids. (laughs) A lot of kids. And, And actually, there are nearly 4 million descendants of those quarter of a million children now. So it's a lot of humans who came out of that orphan train experience. And um, I think people are just hungry for stories that have been normally sort of traditionally hidden or ignored, uh, not included in history books. And so th- that's sort of what my books are. Those are my books are about stories that should be told, but haven't necessarily been part of the mainstream history. 
Well, your latest book, The Exiles, is out July 6th in paperback. It's also historical fiction, and it weaves together the stories of three women in 19th century Tasmania, uh, Australia. Um, and it's exactly that. You, I, I read that you decided to tell this story because the big blockbuster book about Australia, the history only gave like one tiny you know, chapter to the women, and that caught your eye. Like, what, do you sense a good story? Is that it? You're like, oh, this is the next one? Yeah, I've come to learn. I've learned to trust this sort of tingle. I used to be afraid of it and want to run in the opposite direction. It usually means I, I'm entering territory that I know nothing about and will have to do a ton of work to even understand. But it usually also means that there's some big, big story that someone needs to tell. Uh, when that happened to me for Orphan Train, I ignored the tingle for like, at least five years. Oh, wow. um, just afraid. I wrote two other novels and a nonfiction book and the whole, I mean, it was more than five years. It was probably eight years where I was writing other books and sort of throwing things in a file, but never sure that I had a right to tell the story. And I, I, I'll say for any aspiring writers out there, um, that is a big thing is sort of claiming your own right to tell mm -hmm. a story. I, I'm not a train rider. I, my, my husband actually, the way I found that story is that my husband's grandfather, they discovered after he died, was featured in this article on Orphan Train Riders, but nobody had known about that story. And I myself am not related, except by marriage, to an Orphan Train Rider. So I just wasn't worried about telling a story that wasn't my own and also wading into water that was too deep for me that I didn't know enough about. And I've, I've since learned that that's the story I need to do. Mm. <laughs> you know? the, the story that scares me, the big story is the one that I have to head toward. Well, the author's note for the exile might have been one of my favorite parts of the book because, yeah, like because it, you know, first of all, you talked about sort of the circumstances in your life that had led you to tell this story, but also you get, you got a real sense of the complete rabbit hole of research that you went down. I mean, I, I was shocked to see the number of sources that you listed in your author's notes. So that is, that's the drawback to doing historical yeah. fiction, right? Is you can never climb out of that hole, that research No, you're, the, the hard part is stopping research at some point and starting to write because actually it is a hole and it's a scary big hole, but it is pretty fun when you're in it because you're like, ooh, here's another story and here's another story and here's another bit of trivia. And at a certain point, you just have to say, listen, <laughs> you got to sit down and just write this book because it's not going to happen unless you stop. So that is, that is definitely a big, uh, a, a big factor is sort of figuring out when to stop researching and start writing. But you wrote in that author's note too that you, it wasn't until after you finished the book that you realized, oh, I have this really unique life experience slash resume that contributed to this. You had uh, spent time in Australia as a student. Uh, you had spent six months interviewing mothers and daughters for a book about feminism that you wrote with your own mother, which is crazy. And yeah. you, you teach at an all-female maximum security prison. Okay, that's a crazy set of resume items that added up to the exiles. I mean, no wonder you spoke with such an authentic voice in that book. Well, I didn't, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't teach in the prison anymore, but I, you know, I did. It was such a formative experience. But when you're when you're drawn to a story, you sometimes don't want to scratch too deeply right away, or maybe you would just go into therapy instead of writing your story. <laughs> so I didn't, I just went with it. I just went with it. And then when I finished the book, that, that was when I really began to reflect on what drew me to it. And, you know, you think about, for example, buying a 
a dress in a, mm-hmm. in a store and that somehow the color and the pattern that someone else might not like appeals to you because your mother wore a dress like that or who knows why. But if you start scratching the surface of all the decisions you make, you realize they're always to do with in some way with something personal in your own life. And I had read this article in the New York Times about the convict women. And I mean, I think maybe thousands of people read that article and no one else wrote a novel about it. But because because I had all these different parts of my own personal story, I I was inspired to do it. And so, um, yeah, afterwards, let me tell you about the author's note. I just, or the acknowledgements, the reason I wrote so much is just when I finish a book with that, I can tell is a huge story, a huge historical story. I always want to know the story behind the book. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it would be fun for readers to, to know where that all came from. And so that's why I write those kinds of long acknowledgements. It was a blockbuster Christina, author's note, blockbuster. It is, it's awesome. Christina, why was it important to, uh, to you to include the Aboriginal character, Matina, uh, yes. the orphan daughter of the tribal chief, um, in this tale about English exiles. Why did you have that theme as well? When I started the book, um, as I told you, the impetus originally was this New York Times piece. It was actually a column that a journalist named Lisa Belkin used to have. She's a wonderful yeah, writer. But sure. she had yeah. a column called Motherload, which maybe wouldn't be called that today. It was a parenting column. And she uh, every week she talked about some aspect of being a, being a parent. Um, but this week she, she took a, de- she had a departure into this historical story of what it was like to parent children on these convict ships. And I, by the way, um, uh, it was pretty dire. I think she was sort of like, buck up everyone. This was not fun you know, back in the day. Um, so I, I read that piece and absolutely loved it. And then I thought I'm going to write a novel about the convict women. I did all this research about them and I went over to Australia. I went over twice and when I got there to Tasmania and uh, the, the, the Cascades, which is the female prison my, the women in my book go into, and it's a real place, had just become a museum. And oh, in, the cool. center town, yeah, in the center of Hobart, the uh, Museum of Tasmanian History, Aboriginal History had, had only opened three months earlier. And so I walked, I went through it. And they featured this girl, Mathina, who's a real life person. And she's sort of become a symbol in Australia of what happened to the Aboriginal people that the British colonists came in and basically pushed them off their land Mm -hmm. into these open air concentration camps where many of them died. And in fact, by the late 1860s, there were no full-blooded Tasmanian Aboriginal people left. Um, So it was a really hard story. And I realized as I was doing the research that it happened at exactly the same moment as my story in the 1830s and 40s. And I would be irresponsible if I didn't address it. So even though it terrified me for a million reasons, and even though if I don't have the right to tell the, you know, these convict stories, God knows what right do I have to, to try to, to try to do justice to the story of, of the Aboriginal people in Tasmania. So I, I had to think long and hard about it. Of course, my editor and my whole team at HarperCollins, they were also quite concerned about what, about how this might go. And um, I worked with really incredible experts as I wrote about in the, in the acknowledgements. HarperCollins ended up hiring two different sensitivity readers, which are people who read books these days to make sure that, you know, that the author is being sensitive, basically. Right. Um, and so I did, I must say, I did due diligence and I did my homework. I also wrote about a 
a child, and I wrote in the third person, not in the first person, which I think is quite an intimate voice. So there were ways that I sort of um, gave space to that story at the same time that I thought it was really important to tell it and that the, the story of the convict women doesn't really exist without the story of the Aboriginal people, what happened to them. Wow, that's, I mean, it is, your story is certainly about this powerful bond between the female con convicts. Uh, mm -hmm. But is that friendship or what, what, or is it something else that's going on there? I mean, I, I, I sort of think of those convict ships as a demented form of summer camp in that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not cruise ships. No, they're, they I, are I, not cruise ships. I mean, well, Christina, I, I, felt, I, I really felt like I needed dramamine reading some of the passages <laughs> like, of this and that I, it was I, so graphic. Uh, I, I just, how did you, how did you write that? Gosh, I was talking to my, my 21 year old yesterday and he said, mom, I, there were some, you know, that was pretty, there were some pretty gruesome parts. And I said, the funny thing about being so immersed in the research and the story is that they did not feel that way to me <laughs> when I was writing them. I was just in that world. It was like, this is the way they live. It did not seem, in fact, when I finished the book, I said, I saw this movie, The Nightingale, which was um, not based on Kristen Hanna's book, a whole different story about a convict woman in the early, even earlier in the 1820s. And it was so much more brutal than my novel. And I called my editor and said, oh my gosh, do you think I sugarcoated this story? And she was like, are you joking? <laughs> yeah. You did not sugarcoat this story. But I, I was afraid that I hadn't conveyed enough of what it really felt like, but she assured me that I did. Um, and my, my son said so too. Um, but when you're in it and you're researching it and you're sort of living that world, you're feeling those feelings, it doesn't feel as extreme as it does when you're sitting on your couch, you know, with a cup of tea or a glass of wine reading a novel, maybe. Mm -mm. You know, you know, what do you know about the convicts, like generations later, the, the yeah. women there that were, that were sent there from England that, that had to settle Tasmania and in Australia, did they, do they have like an organized, a Facebook page yeah. or something like, I, is that yeah. a thing in Australia? Yeah, yeah, it totally is a thing. Well, what's interesting is that what I've found with all these books I've written now, now three that are set in the past, but is that generation, things change generationally. I mean, we know that, of course, but to see it play out, like, so for example, with the orphan train riders, they were, the orphan train riders were so ashamed of their um, of their identity and they were made to feel ashamed. They were made fun of, they were spit upon, they were, you know, these immigrant kids coming to the homogeneous Midwest, they were not accepted right away. And so many of them kept dead quiet. If they could assimilate without letting anyone know that they'd ridden on a train, they did. And so many of them kept that secret until they died. And it was only the generations after that came to really appreciate um, who they were, what their stories were. And now, if you talk to descendants of train riders, they often have these enormous genealogical, you know, records, notebooks, photographs that they could find. They've gone to the countries of their ancestors. And, um, and that's exactly actually what's happening with the convict women. There was even a name for it, the convict I guess convicts altogether. Um, it was called the convict stain that that people wanted to erase as quickly as they could. Uh, Australia was founded as a penal colony, which means 
almost everyone who went over was a convict at one point. Um, and then settlers came, free settlers they called them. And even today, 20% of Australians are descended from convicts. So now when you go over, or if you go on Facebook, you can certainly find them there too. And all over the internet, there are so many groups of descendants devoted to convict history, and they're so proud of it. Mm-hmm. But as I say, it took a long time for that to happen. Um, and it unfolded slowly over generations. Hmm. Wow. Well, it's just very powerful. Yeah, you just, I mean, the excellent comes out in paperback July 6th. It's on our best beach bag books list. And it's just a wonderful read, but it is heartbreaking and it is hard. And it, you know, I finished it and I thought, well, it's really not that great being a girl, is it? I mean, mean, they had a friendship and a bond, but it was their, their, the hardship of their lives. Okay. I do get that, but here's the amazing thing. Okay. I, the funny thing is, I see it as an entirely happy ending and hopeful. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> and here, I'll tell you why. Um, because these poor women in England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales were at the bottom of the social ladder in England. They had, right. and, and in, in Europe, and sorry, in Britain, they had no rights whatsoever. There was no so- social safety net. There was no welfare, no foster care, no services for the poor. You were completely at the mercy of the government and the government did nothing. So these women were swept off the streets. They had no rights. Um, as you know, they were, women were property anyway. It was terrible. And it was terrible over there because they were never going to move one rung on the social ladder. And they got to Australia. And if they survived the trip and if they survived <laughs> the prison and they got out, then they had the opportunity to try transform themselves. And a lot of those women went on to a kind of um, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, sort of educational, um, social um, shift, shifting that was hugely beneficial to them. They, they, they ran shops, they opened hospitals, as I describe in the novel. They, That's true. Yes. Uh, you know, no. educated. Yeah. They, they married outside of their own class. They, they became wealthy landowners. There were all kinds of ways that they could be socially mobile in Australia that they couldn't be in England. So mm. it really was the land of opportunity in that way for them eventually. Okay. See, you turned it around. You've done your, you are ready for your book tour. You are ready for your book tour. Okay. Um, before we let you go, I wanted to ask about all of the scholarship programs that you fund. You really support a lot of writers all over the place at various, through various programs and at all ends of the spectrum. Why, why is that important to you? Well, I, I, my interest, you know, my interests are in education and in, um, after reading, I mean, after reading all the research to, for Orphan Train and getting involved in the foster care movement in the United States, I'm really supportive of organizations that boost your kids in foster care. There's one in particular called Roots and Wings that is all about taking, helping kids from the ages of 15 to 25, which is that transitioning out of foster care period, get into college, get jobs, get um, you know job training, even outfits to wear, having places to go at Thanksgiving and the holidays because foster kids often have nowhere to go if they even do get into school. So that organization is fantastic. And then I, my mother, who as I, you know, I wrote a book with, was um, in the Maine State Legislature, very involved in Native American rights, which is part of my, um, you know, part of my research for my novel Orphan Train as well. I have a Native American character. Um, and so my sisters and I fund a scholarship for 
um, a person of color and particularly a Native American person at the College of the Atlantic in Maine, which is just a wonderful institution, a state institution. Um, and then I, I also I also fund one for writers um, because uh, writers who are mothers who have no time because I remember what that was like. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, yes. That's fantastic, Christina. That great. That's great. Fantastic. Well, we absolutely love the book. We highly recommend it. We have really uh, loved talking to you, Christina Baker Klein. The book is The Exiles. The paperback comes out July 6. It's another book club must. So thank you, Christina. Have a fantastic thank book you, tour. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Prose for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Prose is getting rave reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that Prose hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, Prose is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. I, do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Lee and Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when I, my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you, you're the boss. I'll take it. <laughs> you tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leans. Okay? And I'm I'm using it. Prose mm -hmm. isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So, Prose, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos, too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Prose. Prose is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at prose.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Okay, we are back. Oh, what a delight Christina was. Yeah, it was really so nice fun. to talk to her. So smart, so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fascinating to hear about the research she does, how she picks the topics and and you know and the tingling feeling she gets about yeah. that's really interesting yeah that really spoke to me because i'm kind of working line for my next book and you know you get a lot of notes from people who know the business like oh maybe you should do x or maybe you should do y but sort of bolstered me to kind of to to stick with what my gut says yeah. which is is mm -hmm. not make every character 30 years old so that's my <laughs> that's my guy <laughs> Thank you, stick to stick to your tingle, Leon. That yeah. seems like a good tingle. I am not going to be wading into historical fiction, but I am going to stick to my tingle. <laughs> um, speaking of that, the Sweeney Sisters in the Wild contest is still going on. You have till July third at five p.m. Pacific time to post your photos on Instagram of the Sweeney Sisters. If you see the book in the library on your own home. Show, 
If you take it on vacation, please post a photo on Instagram with the hashtag Sweeney Sisters in the Wild. 10 winners will win a copy of You're the Best, a celebration of friendship by, by us, the satellites. And one grand prize winner will win a Satellite Sisters solid gold pashmina. Oh, that's true. We have just a few left from our big promotion uh-huh. and there will never be any more made because, <laughs> because I am getting out of the luxury goods business. Okay. But hashtag- You may never recover from being in that business. <laughs> hashtag Sweeney Sisters in the wild. Uh, the photos so far have been fantastic and fun to see. I appreciate the support. 10 winners of a copy of You're the Best and one grand prize winner. Well, it's a great book cover, Leanna. So it looks great in all these photos. It does. It's that, yeah. That's yeah. true, Jewel. Uh-huh. I know. That is true. Uh, thank you for saying that. Um, okay. So it's time to reveal wow. some of our best beach bag books picks. If you have not seen the whole list, again, it's up at SatelliteSisters.com. Uh, it's under the blog. You'll get First, there's a list of all the books we mentioned, and then you get our mini reviews under that. So we actually read them all, put little mini reviews. But we're going to go through some of the highlights of our list here. These are not all the books, and we're going to continue to highlight books all summer, but this is it. Okay, Jewel, let's start with you. What did you pick and why Why did you pick it? Okay, well, Liz and Leanne, you know that I love to travel, and I love to travel with my summer reading. So my first pick is Red Island House by Andrea Lee listen to this plot. So it's the African-American Professor Shea. She's from California and she marries an Italian husband. So she gets an Italian husband and she's living in Milan. Okay. So pretty good Ooh, so far. Yeah. And then her husband, Senna, decides that he wants to buy a spectacular dream house on the beach in Madagascar. Okay, so now we're going to Madagascar. That sounds fun. Okay, so, and then Shay becomes the somewhat reluctant mistress of this sprawling mansion in Madagascar. So this is really, uh, it's, it's told over a 20 year period, and it, but it is a collision of cultures. Um, you learn a lot about Madagascar, their colonial history, and for Shay, as an African-American, sort of confronting this colonial history is part of her journey in this book. So it is rich, it is lush, it's an exotic tale. Um, Shay is definitely a stranger in a strange land, but it's very, very captivating. So I would recommend Red Island House by Andrea Lee. Ooh, exciting. Okay. Doesn't that sound good? Okay. Yeah. My second choice is His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Medi. And I, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing uh, the author's name right. Uh, you may know her. She is a scholar and a fierce af- advocate for women's right in Ghana. Uh, oh. and so this book is set in Ghana. Again, I'm traveling this summer. That's, That's a great idea. Going. Get pack your away suitcase. Yes, Go am. for it. Okay. It's all in the suitcase. This is really an interesting story. It's, it's a woman's story, Afi's story. Um, she starts her life as, as a very young, humble seamstress, and she, there's really not much um, opportunity. But then she agrees, or her, uh, you know, her aunties agree that she should be um, um, married in this arranged marriage with this wealthy man. So that sounds like her status is going to be increasing and it's all good. But unfortunately, the wealthy man is in love with another woman. Oh, so he, uh, darn it, that sort of thing. <laughs> so, but 
But this is really the tale of how Afi earns her own independence and that she creates through her own, you know, with her own wits and skills and courage, she creates her own life, a life that she could never have imagined before. So again, it's got a very rich setting. You know, you learn a lot about the Ghanaian culture, um, and, but it is a woman's story of independence and it has a great deal of appeal because of that. So that's called His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Medi. Beautiful. Okay. Two good recommendations, Julie, to take us, take us away. I love it. Okay. The books I'm going to discuss today involve mainly sisters and cousins. So groups of sisters or cousins. Love now, the, fir the first book I want to talk about is Daughters of Sparta by Claire Haywood. Okay. So Claire is a classicist. She's British turned novelist. This is her first novel. So if you like the work of, say, Madeline Miller, if you've enjoyed, you know, Song of Achilles or Circe, you're going to enjoy this because this is a modern retelling of the myth of two sisters, Helen of Troy and Clytemnestra. Okay. okay. Those okay. are some classic sisters. So yeah. Sisters yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they really had a lot of bad PR in the ancient world. I mean, okay. So yeah. Helen is the sister who started the Trojan War. Okay. Oops. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that a 10-year siege of Troy. And yeah. Clytemnestra was married to the very powerful king Agamemnon, who she later hacked to death in the bathtub. So, but she had her reasons. Okay. <laughs> she, she okay, good. Reasons. And we're gonna hear about them. Oh, That's exactly oh right. Oh. <laughs> so this Ooh. I just think really great writing. You don't have to know a lot about ancient myths. She explains it. It's all going to kind of come back to you if you have a vague notion of, you know, what happened in the Iliad or the Trojan War. But even if you don't, it's just a really um, engrossing tale of these two sisters that both faced impossible situations in the ancient world. And I just absolutely loved it. I could not put it down. I think it's wonderful. And I hope she writes more books about ancient women, uh, something I'm very interested in. So daughter of Sparta by Claire Haywood. Okay, another book about two sisters, wildly different than the one I just uh, described, is Clark and Division by Naomi Hirahara. Now, I'm excited because Naomi's going to be on the show in July. And full disclosure, she is a friend of mine. She is a Edgar Award-winning mystery writer who lives here in Pasadena. I've known her for about 10 years. We have a small active writing community right here in Pasadena. And she is one of my writer friends. And I have learned a lot from her about just how to be an author in the world. But also, she is a longtime journalist and advocate and sort of a a watcher of Japanese American history. So this book, Ch Clark and Division, it comes out in August. It's getting a lot of buzz. I'm happy that we got advanced copies. You can pre-order it. It's a heartbreaking story of one sister seeking justice for another. But the key is that it's set against the backdrop of World War II and the aftermath of the Japanese internment camps. So it reads like both a page-turning mystery and historical fiction. Oh, I just had never read another book like this. So the two Edo sisters that were, were you know, caring about main characters in the book, they are, they are interned in Manzanar, but then they're relocated mid-war to Chicago, which who knew? I didn't realize that that happened. I didn't realize that either. No. And so, yeah, they spent a couple of years in these terrible, in, in these internment camps. And then they, they're, they're, they're literally given like 35 bucks and sent to the Midwest because they didn't want any Japanese on the West Coast. 
They thought that was too threatening. So the story picks up in Chicago, which is why it's called Clark and Division. And it's just a really unusual blend of historical fiction and true crime, but a really, you know, heartbreaking story about two sisters who were very different and who went through uh, this experience and came out the other side, really changed young women. So I loved it. I'm looking forward to talking uh, to Naomi on the show, Clark and Division. And then the last book I want to mention is about cousins. And this one, again, totally different. This is a groovy 70s vibe. It's called Lady Sunshine, which, first of all, super mad that she took that title because that's a great title. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I have never written a book called Lady Sunshine. Uh, uh, The author is Amy Mason Doan. I believe this is her debut novel. It comes out today. uh, And it's the story of cousins, not sisters. But it's set on this, like, bucolic, groovy, folk music compound in Big Sur on the California coast. So what you get is the story of like the famous washed up folk singer and this one beautiful magnetic summer in the 70s that the cousins spend together and the aftermath of that 20 years later. But it just has this very languid uh, language and vibe and I just loved it. It was, it really sucks you in. It's like a story of the dark side of fame, but seen through the eyes of these two, of these young cousins, and Mm -hmm. then the aftermath 20 years later. So that is called Lady Sunshine. Okay. So there you go. Those are my three picks, Daughters of Sparta, Clark and Division, and Lady Sunshine. Okay. Well, this is Liz, and I picked all memoirs, and you know, I love the audiobooks. So I especially love audiobooks of memoirs by women where they read their own audiobooks. So I just like, I like to hear them talk about their lives in their own voice. So speaking of folk music, Leanne, the first one I picked, Ricky Lee Jones. She has an amazing memoir out right now. Huh. And, you know, she, I, when she first hit it big, her first big album was 1979, entitled Ricky Lee Jones. I know that I went to see her at Carnegie Hall. Were either of you in on that trip into New York City? I think maybe I went. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was my first concert ever. Was Ricky Lee Jones at Carnegie Hall? Okay. It was you, me, Sheila, and Monica. I know. That was was just a a classic junket. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go see Ricky Lee in the big city. Anyway, so, but what I really took away from the, this is the life of a true artist. I mean, there is a lot of heartbreak in this story. There is a lot of struggle in this story, but there is also just art and vision. And she just reveals so much about the songwriting process and, you know, what she loved about performing. And I always got the feeling from her that she was sort of a reluctant public figure, but not at all. Whoops, hang on. That's my phone ringing. Boom. Um, that she was a... It's our second phone of the show. So I know. Yeah, we are just busy here. <laughs> anyway, I always felt like she was a reluctant public figure, but that is not the case at all. She just loved being on stage and she lived huh. for being on stage. And she writes a lot about what that is. She also, you know, uh, on again, off again, romance with Tom Waits. You get all of that in there. Anyway. Oh. Real, oh, yeah. Oh, oh I didn't know they were a couple. Okay. Okay. Yes. This is, yeah. good, this is okay. really a good book. As I say, super sad at times. Her own struggle with heroin addiction, super sad at times, but just like 
the soul of an artist, I think is what this book is about. And by the way, Ricky Lee, in case you're available this fall, Julie, if you're traveling around, she's actually appearing this year at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. So uh, October 16th, uh, put that on your calendar. So that's the first book, uh, Ricky Lee Jones' memoir, which is called Last Chance Texaco. I didn't even mention the title, did I? Last Chance Texaco, which is one of her greatest songs. Another good thing about the audiobook, she occasionally sings in it, sisters. Oh, so fun. She hums a tune. She sings a few little ditties. Anyway, Ricky Lee Jones, uh, Last Chance Texaco. Uh, next one, Cicely Tyson's memoir literally came out like, a month before she died this year. So the title of the memoir is Just As I Am. Uh, She did not, she does do um, an intro. She did not narrate it, but there's also another intro narrated by Viola Davis. And wow, I mean, Cicely Tyson, I mean, what a life. She's won, you know, Tony, Emmy, Oscar, Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, She was just on the cutting edge of so many things and she writes about them in a really interesting way. She was born in Harlem to parents who were West Indian uh, immigrants. She started work in the theater and uh, and during the, so that was in the like 60s and 70s. And she refused the, the most popular movies at that time. It was sort of the time of black exploitation movies. And she refused to ever be in any of those. She refused to ever play a maid, a prostitute, a drug addict, no way. So she held herself back from being in the movies until Sounder came out in 1972. And then she just did this whole series of movies with these fantastically strong female um, African-American characters. Of course, Roots, um, the the television series. Um, And then on the flip side, Married to Miles Davis, you know, which oh, was wow. not easy. What a mess. Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, yeah. so mm-hmm. again, a true artist, uh, a complicated, messy life, but such a powerful point of view about what she wanted to accomplish with her life. Very active in the civil rights movement. And so really great to, um, to read that. I totally recommend that. And the behind the scenes that like the making of Roots or the making of the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, that stuff is just always really interesting to read. And then in like a wildly different vein, another memoir that just came out like today uh, is called Thanks for Waiting by Dori Shafrir. Now, Dori Shafrir is one of the two hosts of the podcast Forever 35, which is one of my go-to podcast and chill choices Mm. because it's she and her own satellite sister, Kate Spencer, talking about, you know, they always say, we're just friends who like to talk about serums, you know? So it's a lot of like self-care and what we all do to take care of ourselves, but they're very open about their lives. And I just, you know, I really like these two. And so this is Dory's memoir. And she just thinks of herself as a, as a late bloomer. The subtitle is The Joy and Weirdness of Being a Late Bloomer. So it's, you know, reflections on work and dating and most of all sort of measuring yourself against others. It's just kind of a, it's a contemporary woman writing about the contemporary issues in her life, including like dating and fertility issues and all of that. And, you know, she's a longtime writer. She's written for The Cut, The New York Times, Slate. She was an editor at BuzzFeed and Rolling Stone. Anyway, she, um, uh, I really, I really liked it. Just like a, a modern woman like us, a little younger than us, sort of just 
talking about her life and how it unfolded and how we shouldn't be held to a certain schedule of when things need to happen in our life just because the world tells us um, that we should. So that's, that's Jory Shafrir, uh comes out today. Uh, thanks for waiting the joy and weirdness of being a late bloomer. There you go. Boy, All right, there good are choices, Liz. Yes. Very different. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Those uh, all sound fantastic. Again, the entire list is at SatelliteSisters.com. We'll spread it around on all our social media, including um, Instagram. It will also be in pep talk. So if you have not subscribed to our weekly newsletter, maybe this is the week to do it because you're going to get this book list and you're going to get the blueberry muffin recipe. That has become <laughs> a, a 4th of July fave for, with all the Satellite Sisters and Misters. It's our mom's 4th of July blueberry muffin recipe that I actually included in the Sweeney Sisters. That's how important it was in our life. Uh, and um, that will be in this week's pep talk with links to our best beach bag books list. But yeah, a lot of books on the list that we did not cover. Go to the website and check that out. And also alternatives, you know, so if you like this book, you may like this book. Um, no, I think we did an excellent job this year. I am, I am exhausted from reading. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should just listen to some of Liz's. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Leanne, I mean, you would, Leanne, you would really enjoy Last Chance Texaco. It's just, it's beautifully written. I mean, she has such a poetic voice, Ricky Lee right. Jones, and it comes through in her, in her prose as well as in her songs. Okay. I just actually downloaded Watership Down to listen to. I thought, well, Ooh. that will be a nice throwback. It's been a long time and it hadn't, they just produced a new audiobook version. And then I'll put Ricky Lee on, on the list after that. You're right. I would like that. I'm looking forward just to reading, not cramming. I mean, I was... <laughs> I was up this week every single morning at like 5 a.m. Like, I got to get through this. Um, because we also have a bunch of authors that we're talking to in August. We were reading their books ahead of time. There are not even books on this list. So we've just done a lot of reading here. And that's a joy. It's the best part of the job. Um, we would like to thank our team here. Thanks to Emily uh, Loudermilk, our graphic designer. She always does something fun. Let's see what you come up with this week, Emily. Um, you can see Emily's designs at our Instagram at Sat Sisters or at our Facebook group. A big thanks to Sergio Enriquez, who always makes us sound great and edits the show. Thank you, Sergio. We're very appreciative of our advertisers and of you who support our advertisers. Uh, that's why using the promo code and the URL is really important for us. Um, it just lets the advertisers know where you heard about. Uh, we get some kind of extra credit, right, Liz? You're an <laughs> yes, we do. Well, <laughs> well, it means that's why they come back. That's right. why they come back. Right, which does sustain our show. So we appreciate your support. We are off next week for the 4th of July. We're going to be very, very busy baking blueberry muffins. Uh, and, making, but, and making deviled eggs. And making deviled eggs. That's right. You don't want to miss cooking with Liz. We're going to be back on 7-12. We'll have new shows for the rest of July, including our Olympics special. Very oh, yeah. excited. We uh, are talking to one of our own an Olympian in the Satellite Sisters family, Kat Holmes, the fencer. Looking forward to that. And then Naomi Hirahara, who wrote Clark and Division. And then in August, we have a month of shows. They will be pre-recorded, but most of them are fresh. Yes. <laughs> most of them are fresh shows in yes. August. Yes. Yeah. So that's why we're sort of doubling down on work here in June and July, so that in August, you have fresh shows. All right. Whew, it's our to-do list. Uh, Jewel, let's start with you. What's up? Well, I'm going to make the blueberry muffins, but then I'm going to do a festooning is my big to-do for the week. You know, for the holiday, I like to festoon. Uh, okay. Flags, 
you can't have enough flags. That's, yeah. uh, that's my feeling about uh, holiday decoration. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. I agree. Mm-hmm. We, we put our flags up this week. Yep. Liz, mm-hmm. how about you? Well, you know, I've slowly been trying new things out of my own in the real world, sisters, as I'm getting over this broken leg. Uh, so good news. I'm down to one crutch most of the time. So hoo-hoo. So my experiment uh, later today, as a matter of fact, on my one crutch is the public pool where I used to love to go swim and take water aerobics. I'm going there on my own. I'm going to see right, how Liz. that works. We're, we're just, just putting myself out there in the pool. Oh, Liz. Okay. All the best. No, we're <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and as I've said to you, Leanne, the problem is not getting in a pool. The problem yeah. is getting out of a pool. Uh, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's harder to stand up and get out, but that's uh, what lifeguards are for, Liz. Okay. Just remember that. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, Julie. I'll have a lifeguard just stay away out. from small children. They're not, they're, erratic. they're not helpful. No. They're erratic. Hazards. Hazards. I think they're worse than dogs, frankly, <laughs> in terms of your situation. Okay. <laughs> All right. On my list this week, it's time. We have new neighbors and I feel like I've waited the appropriate amount of time. I didn't want to like bombard them the first couple of weeks. They had they were doing a lot of work in the house. But now I'm getting to the point where I have to meet them or else it's going to be embarrassing. So uh, I'm going to actually make some blueberry muffins and take them over for the 4th of July and introduce myself to the new neighbors before it's too late. Very so. good. Very good. Okay. Very, friendly. Very friendly. All right, sisters. Have a great week. You too, you too Leanne. Leanne. Happy 4th of July. Happy All right. 4th of July. Thanks. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.